Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Brenda, too, for gathering those prayers and praying on behalf of our, our teachers, family, students, administrators. As we head into this coming season, this is what happens next. That's the theme of these weeks and maybe this extended season. Not a question, as we often ask, but a statement. What happens next? Is what has always been must be again. But what happens next is often waiting, not something we're accustomed to or consider a virtue. I said last week, I believe that we, collectively, the American church, perhaps from our lens, the American evangelical church, is at a critical juncture between our past and our future. I believe we, more specifically, as Union Hill Church, that may be true, that we are at a critical point between our past and our future. This liminal moment for us, for the whole world, it seems to be filled with uncertainty, anxiety, and perhaps even fear. Where is the hope, the anticipation, the expectation? Are those even possible? If we know our history and our God, there may even be reason for excitement in this place. So what shall we do? We don't need to ask what happens next. We need to remember what happens next. The model has been set. The first disciples walked it. But Jesus shows us what happens next in these places at these times. We journeyed through the Gospel of Mark for almost two years, leading many of you to ask, well, what's next? And here it is. Mark doesn't continue this story. He ends abruptly. Other gospel writers and other authors of the scriptures continue the story for us, as Mark read some from Luke chapter 24, also included in Acts 1 and 2, and that's the story that I want us to immerse ourselves in in these coming days. I invite you to read it or listen to it kind of on loop and to be prayerful and to ask how it is our story, how we might see ourselves in it and receive what happens next. To a degree, we should be able to resonate with the disciples following the crucifixion and these two that we see on the road, perhaps a married couple on a journey. Where were the disciples at that point, at that moment, before their eyes were opened to the risen Lord? They were distracted, divided, maybe discouraged and downcast. And what happens next? Jesus shows up. May our history be our reality. He appears to them, pursues them, restores their hope, forgives their desertion, unifies their heart, clarifies their mission, and tells them to wait upon the Holy Spirit. That's the story we see in Luke 24 and Acts in 1 and 2. And I'll call us to immerse ourselves in that story as long as it takes until it is not only our history but our reality. So would you join me in that? Will we follow in the footsteps of these first followers of Jesus who experienced the supernatural amongst them? And not only were their lives transformed, but their families, their communities, and ultimately through them beyond even their physical sight, the world was transformed through the power of the Spirit. I shared a little bit of what was leading up to this Last week in the message, hopefully you got to tune in, and if you missed it, it's still online to listen to or to watch. Now, my process of discerning what to preach, 
what scriptures to teach through. Uh, it's been pretty consistent for 12 years. To search the scriptures, to pray faithfully, and to practice the discipline of waiting upon the Holy Spirit. Often, in various ways, through confirmation of others, through a sense of, of peace, perhaps, or, or strength or encouragement to the word, he makes that clear. Coming to the end of Mark, it was unclear, uncertain. This, it seems that like the Spirit was not speaking, was concealing, maybe testing my resolve and my commitment. But even that is a gift. This is the primary message for today. I hinted at it a little bit last week. When God chooses to conceal, to not reveal, to not speak, to not lead, to not guide, even as his people seek him, cry out to him, even that is meant to be received as a gift. We can respond with frustration or we can respond with worship. Now to be clear, this seeking is for a manifest presence, a manifest presence of God or the Holy Spirit where you as an individual or more often in the story, the community of God's people sense, experience his presence, see a form of sign and wonder for you and your experience or for today, perhaps you've come to discern the ways of the spirit and it may, may be more of, for me in this journey, an experience of what I would say, supernatural peace. In a place where there should be anxiety or uncertainty, peace instead. That may be discernment. Maybe it is a tangible feeling, the goose flesh kind of feeling. I know some of your stories, you, 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 have, you believe, you have heard the audible voice of God. And whether others in the room could have heard that, it was so powerful and palpable at a moment for you, it, it, it transformed, it changed, it encouraged you in a, a certain direction or a moment. The Spirit is not confined to a, a prescription, but he does want to meet with his people. This is a manifest experience. We may not always, always have a manifest experience, and yet we believe by faith that the Spirit is still present. That's, that's our journey of faith. He is with us. This is the story. This is our history. May it be our reality day by day. The Spirit is already present. And we who are following and becoming followers of Jesus, putting our faith into him, believing in him, confessing our sins and receiving God's forgiveness, incredible grace and mercy. We are told that the spirit indwells within us, as the apostle Paul said, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, my old life, my old self. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the incarnation of God coming into the world in fullness. Modeled by the early church, the Spirit fell upon them in power in a manifest way, declaring to all who would follow him that this is our reality, that the Spirit has come, that the promises of God can be taken by faith by his people. He is with us. At times we experience a manifest presence we need not, we need walk by faith to know he is with us. And as his people, rightly desiring, longing for a manifest experience of the Holy Spirit's filling, empowering, guiding, leading. This is right for his people. God, your will be done. May it be known and may we walk in it. Bring confirmation, bring unity, bring your peace. 
And for me, that was, that was my confirmation on a, a couple of different occasions as I was searching the scriptures, committed to prayer, practicing the discipline of waiting even till a Sunday afternoon after a final message in Mark, wondering what was next, what the Spirit had for us, I just sensed an incredible sense of peace. No answer to a sermon series, but peace that the Spirit was with us and with us in this process. And a sense of invitation to the very same, that for his people we would do the same. We would search the scriptures, we would be committed to prayer, and we would practice the discipline of waiting upon him. And as, as I was in that space, I really sensed that the Spirit was saying, what's next? What's next for the church, for Union Hill Church, is me. And that this is what has always been. What's next is me. The Spirit of the living God coming to his people. This is not just our history, but it must be our reality. Not a sermon series. He didn't give a vision for what was to come. Not seven steps to the living the best life now. But me, the Spirit of God. And he led me then back into the story where Mark cuts off abruptly and the blank, blank space on the page is meant to be filled, so to speak, to make us ask the question, so what does happen next? What's the rest of the story? Luke comes next. Luke describes this journey of these early disciples in this place of wondering, of uncertainty, of even fear, questioning the past years of their life, questioning maybe the promises, none at that point expecting the risen Christ. And yet what happens next? Jesus shows up. Jesus walks alongside. Jesus draws near, as, as Mark highlighted for us. How amazing. And even though their eyes were still closed because they weren't looking with expectation, or in fact, the scriptures say, they were kept from seeing. Something was holding, was restricting their vision at this point, at this time. What was keeping it? Was it something internal? Was it something external? We're left to question and to wonder. As we walk with Jesus, striving to follow after him, coming to believe, struggling with our doubts and our uncertainties, often stumbling at many times in many ways, sometimes experiencing his life abundantly. Other times, it feels like our spiritual life is wandering through the desert, the drought, the dryness. If we will remain, if we will wait upon him with expectation, the Spirit will fill his people again and again, like the spring rains that bring life, like the autumn rains that bring renewal to the parched earth. This is our story. I believe this is where we find ourselves now. By faith, we know the presence of God. But by waiting upon him, I believe we will know the manifest presence of the living God. So will we wait upon the Holy Spirit? Will we hunger and thirst? Will we be satisfied by nothing else but God's manifest presence with us? And if he chooses to conceal, will we respond with worship? So I invited you to read this story, to immerse yourself in it, to pray to receive it, to pray for your brothers and sisters that this would be our reality. Let's enter into it just for a moment, into this primary message of the concealing glory of God. Luke 24, 13, 
as Mark read for us, that same day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were kept from recognizing him. First, a couple things. Walking and talking about Jesus is discipleship. It's very biblical. What a practice. Even when we don't have all the answers. Perhaps there's a nugget of truth here that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of questioning, in the midst of wrestling with our faith, keep moving. Keep practicing the regular rhythms, often the mundane rhythms of life. Keep discussing, keep talking about the things of faith, the story of Jesus. And perhaps, unknown to us, or when we least expect it, Jesus will draw near and be right with us. I believe he is. Jesus is there with them, but they are kept from recognizing him. This is a principle of this uncertainty of faith that I mentioned last week from a couple scriptures, Proverbs 25.2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. The glory of us to search for the truth. We're invited to that process. This entire scriptures really invite us to that. To search and seek for the creator God, the holy one. But it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. We also know throughout scripture, it's to his glory to reveal, to make himself known, to reveal truth. How can both be true? Often in our faith, we come to those paradoxes, don't we? Where the, both are true, we receive it, it grows us, it stretches us. To the glory of God, he can, to conceal a matter. In his time and his way and his wisdom, the Apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, describing our reality of present faith in this world. He says, now we see but in a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall fully know. There's a longing to fully know, but there's an admission that in this present we see so unclearly at times. God has a will and a way, a, a timing of revealing and making himself known a timing of bringing renewal, a timing of pouring out his spirit, and both the concealing and the revealing are to his glory. Another example. Many of us are familiar with some of Jesus' final words, perhaps his final words. They're the final words that we have recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before he ascended. He said to his disciples, Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The church throughout the millennia has taken that as a commission collectively to wait upon the Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit's empowering to give testimony and witness to the kingdom, to the risen Jesus, right where we are, our Jerusalem, our own city, the broader region, into Samaria, to people totally unlike us, that might even historically have animosity between us, even to them, as has been to us, and to the ends of the earth. We've taken this as a commission. We often quote this verse without the first word. You notice that? Acts 1.8 begins with a but. We often quote it, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, as a declaration, as a statement. And while that is true, it is incomplete in context. The but indicates it's coming after something. It's an answer to something. It's an answer to the question that the disciples bring 
to Jesus right before he makes that incredible statement. Verse 6, back up two verses. When they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That should be funny for us who have journeyed the entire way through Mark and seen their misunderstanding about faith all the way through and what Jesus had come to do. Still wanting a political victory. They set their eyes on two small things. How do we not do the same today? Still longing that the greatest work that God can do is give political deliverance and create a nation that serves him? How ignorant, how low. The vision of God is grander. Will you now give us political freedom? Well, well, the desire for deliverance against oppression is throughout the scriptures and is right, is God's heart, is justice, is righteousness. Repeatedly, the vision of his followers was too earthly, too weak, too minuscule. Jesus constantly expanded it to God's kingdom on earth for all people that the weak would be strong, that the low would be raised up. So he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set. He really isn't answering that question. He's not saying, at some point, what you're asking will happen. He's saying, you're wrong, really, to even ask. What I'm inviting you to is something different. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the answer to the question you're not even asking. This must be our reality also. We can come to God with all sorts of different questions. And sometimes that's the problem in and of itself. Why we are not sensing the answer of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit. Because the questions we're asking are not even in first alignment with the heart of God, with the kingdom of God. It is to the glory of God to conceal. It is not for us to know his times or his dates or his will or his way, but he desires to be with you fully, to fill you, to empower his people, that you would know him and that you would walk by faith. This is how it's a gift. The concealing of God becomes a gift because what does it do? It invites us to trust him, to walk by faith when we don't have a confidence in what we see or what we experience. The Father has set his dates, his days, he numbers them, his will and his way, and we're invited to live in the power of the Spirit in the midst of the tension between urgency because we do not know what tomorrow holds and peace and rest because we have a God who knows what tomorrow holds. We are meant to live in that tension and in that place Trusting there is someone in control, and it's not us. But you will receive power through the Holy Spirit, supernatural power to walk by faith as you wait upon him. It seems that our history and our theology teaches us to be faithful, calls us to be faithful, patient, enduring, resilient, to wait upon God with hopeful anticipation and longing that this is the call of discipleship. But it seems that our current world has discipled us in completely different values. To need answers, fixes, comfort, 
affirmation that everything's okay instead of waiting, trusting, wrestling in our faith with our doubts, praying, enduring, becoming resilient people, we take control. We say, this is hard, this is uncertain, this is unsettling, this can't be what God wants to do in my life or in this world. So I will take control. I will make a change to fix this. I will change my job, change my career, change my house, change my church, change my neighborhood, change my state. Because being in a place of longing or unsettled or uncertain and waiting doesn't feel good. But what if in the midst of uncertainty, of unsettledness, of doubt, of questions, and even fear, God was walking with you all along and you did not see it. You were kept from seeing it. Calling you, inviting you to trust and to walk by faith. Let's return to that day on the road to Emmaus. They were kept from recognizing him, from seeing clearly. It wouldn't be until later in that day when they invited him in and came to the table and broke the bread that their eyes would be open. It's as if God had a purpose of when to reveal. As if he was teaching them how they would truly see him in the bread of a meal, of communion, at the table. Something that God is always doing with his people. Drawing them near, coming alongside them, communing with them. Perhaps our eyes will be open in that same rhythm even today as we come again to the table, or as we are invited to come, that our eyes would be open. Regardless of how God chooses to reveal after a time of concealing what we know throughout our story that is our reality, God shows up. God comes to his people. God makes himself known. In his will and his way, he will pursue his friends. In the midst of our doubting, in the midst of our desertion, even if we are downcast, and Jesus reminded these of who he was and always has been, opening their eyes to the scripture, to the story of the promises being fulfilled in him, and he will do the same for us, reminding of us our history, pointing us toward our future, renewing our hope in our present, being with us here and now. In this season, in this coming season for us, for Union Hill Church, let's pray the same kinds of prayers that the church throughout the ages has prayed in a time of waiting and longing, of uncertainty, of what comes next. In liminal moments, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. Meet with us, pursue us, draw near to us, remind us, be with us, open our eyes to you, lead us, fill us, empower, embolden for the days ahead. We will wait upon you. We need your strength and resolve. So will we receive and embrace in a time of waiting and wondering, in a time of potential concealing? Will we receive it as a gift and respond in worship? Will this increase our hunger and our thirst for the Spirit? 
for his living presence with us. If we don't find ourselves thirsty for this, have we begun drinking from earthly sources that can merely satisfy for but a moment instead of the living water where we will never thirst again? If so, may we come with confession and repentance. May we seek again the coming of the Spirit upon us. Pentecost does not need to happen again. That's our history. But the renewal of the power of the Spirit falling upon his people, even day by day, is our reality and is our invitation to pursue. In his timing and his will and his way, would we experience collectively his manifest presence in these days that would transform us as a community Therefore, our individual lives and our families. But God always comes to his people, collective, together. That's the story. And from there, would our communities, who are so in desperate need of the presence of the Spirit, of the light of God in this time, so be transformed through his Spirit in his people, not through our effort or our might or our wisdom, but through his spirit living in and through manifest to a community that's in desperate need. May we be desperate first. A prayer from A.W. Tozer that has been one of the most powerful prayers in my life. It's at the end of the first chapter of his famous Pursuit of God, which I believe was like an inspired text, not equal with scripture, but he wrote the entire, entire book on a train ride on his knees as the story goes. Here's a prayer from the great Alliance theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer. Maybe make it your own. Some of you have heard this prayer, but maybe it's fresh again today as we respond, as we come to a place of response for many of us in a time of uncertainty and question, a time where we feel like much is concealed or we haven't experienced the presence of the Spirit, the manifest presence of the Spirit, maybe even longing or needing to make a decision and wanting to only do it in the power of the Spirit. May a prayer like this, 75 years old, be new and fresh today. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. But I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee. Would you begin in mercy a new work of love within me? Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and to follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Within that prayer, the prayer that I often pray, maybe you would pray today, even as we sing and even as we come to the table and even as we respond, God, I or we, make a collective, we want to want thee. We recognize our lack of desire at times. We want to want that we want to be filled with desire, with longing again. We thirst to be made more thirsty still, if we can honestly reflect on the state of our spirit within us.
May these be some of our prayers as we respond.